special bonus podcast. Interview with Ed Vanderveen. Interview with Jerry Stellenberg. Hi and welcome to a special bonus podcast from Texas leading up to the Texas Pinball Festival which will start tomorrow. Uh, my name is Jonathan Newsom of Pinball Magazine I'm here with Martin Ayer from Pinball News. And um, as you might have guessed, we're in Texas for the Texas Pinball Festival. Uh, we got in a few days ahead and we were in the fortunate position to uh, uh, meet with Ed Vanderveen the uh, co-organizer of the Texas Pinball Festival, do an interview with him. And after that, we were able to drive up to Round Rock and talk to Jerry Stellenberg of Multimorphic uh, for an uh, in-depth interview about the uh, current situation with uh, Multimorphic, where they are basically uh, building games in-house and no longer with a contract manufacturer and lots of other news so you definitely want to stick around for that to listen to so um, any comments from you yes absolutely um, we, we are fortunate to as, as you said to speak to Ed and Kim um, from the Texas Pinball Festival and uh, the Texas Pinball Museum which we then went to visit um, so you can look out for some reports from uh, that from the museum as well as the show um, coming up very shortly and as Jonathan said, now we're down in, in Red Rock, sorry, Round Rock, Round Rock, Round sorry. Rock. Red Rock is, uh, is somewhere else. I, I keep calling it Red Rock. But, uh, um, yes, so yes, so we went to see Jerry and uh, see his facility and meet the team at Multimorphic, and uh, yeah, we we had a good good conversation and discussion about uh, his operation, his plans, why he's moved, um, what they're doing um, for the show. What, and what their future plans are. So I think we, we as with ever, we always say, oh, it's going to be a little quick interview. You know, with Ed, we always say it will be 10 minutes, and Jerry, you know, half an hour or something, and then they always end up being about twice as long as that after we've covered everything we want to ask. Right. So, um, in regards to the interview with uh, Jerry Stellenberg, it might be uh, wise to probably browse to our uh, respective websites, uh, pinball-magazine.com, and uh, pinballnews.com um, as we both took pictures of the new facility where Multimorphic is housed so you can take a look at those pictures so you get an idea what the operation looks like it's sort of like a small factory tour yeah that's a good good plan and um, I'm sure there'll be, be lots more news from uh, both of the interviewees um, over the next few days and weeks uh, during the show and after the show right okay so without further ado let's head up our first interview with Ed Vanderveen, co-organizer of the Texas Pinball Festival. We're here at the Texas Pinball Museum with the founder, Ed Vanderveen, who is also the um, uh, co-founder, <laughs> co-founder, um, but also the main guy running the Texas Pinball Festival, which is actually taking place this weekend. This weekend in Frisco, Texas. So, first of all, Ed, thank you very much for taking a little bit of time out of your very busy schedule because you're up over to your ears in, in everything. I'm very PM. busy. Right. So, thanks for taking a couple of minutes for us. So, sure. what can you tell us about the upcoming weekend Texas Pinball Festival? Uh, this is probably going to be the biggest Texas Pinball Festival we've had. Of course, I say that every year, and it and it's true. And it's true. So. Uh, from, of course, the Munsters is a very big part of the show. Uh, Butch Patrick and Pat Priest are, are coming. 
Uh, we also have John Ray's Davies from Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, and Sliders. Everyone keeps telling me he was in Sliders, which I've actually started to watch. It's actually a pretty uh, entertaining show if you've ever watched it. I haven't, but but all the uh, but all the you know all the pinball celebrities are coming. Um, you know Steve Ritchie, Mark Ritchie, John Borg, Christopher Franchi, uh, Barry Ausler. Yeah, uh, they're all coming. Jonathan Martin. Jonathan Justin, Martin A. They're <laughs> yeah. all coming. Yeah, all the big names. All the big names, right? Yeah. So, and you have a record number in games. I understand. We have broken a, a, the record. I don't know what that number is off the top of my head. It's four eighty one, four eighty five. We're, we're pushing five hundred pinball machines, and that's, I mean, that's a, a huge accomplishment considering that almost all of the games, you know, easily 85 percent of them are privately owned collector games that these people are bringing their their games up here to, to show whether they're you know a lot of them are buying them new uh, so they can have that but they're still going to share them with us over the weekend and that is just an amazing thing but even last year the show seemed to be sort of almost bursting at the seams from the amount of games and the amount of vendors and uh, the seminar space have, have you got any room to actually expand the show anymore in, in the current venue well we one thing i noticed last year is some of not all the vendors but some of the vendors you know the a standard vendor's booth last year was uh, 10 by 12. It almost seemed like it was too big for, for some of the vendors. So you'd, you'd, walk, you'd walk past and they'd have all this empty space behind them because they would push their tables up, up closer. Cool. And uh, of course, my wife, Kim, who uh, helps run the show, she likes having these big, wide, Texas-sized aisles, which is yeah. great for people's space. So sure. uh, this year, we did create a lot of extra space. We did reduce the size of a standard booth to an 8 by 10. That seemed to be more... Uh, fitting for a lot of the vendors and the aisles are going to be just a little bit narrower in order to accommodate the growth we're also pushing out into the foyer area or the outer the outer hallway you're going to mm -hmm. see a lot of uh, vendors out there as well oh that's great because that's uh, there's an awful lot of foot traffic there a lot uh, of foot traffic uh, it's a lot easier to browse what people are selling yes. there yeah. we also and then the other big thing is we moved the tournaments uh, we, we have a, a series of, of side rooms that is a very large area. It's actually a larger area that we, uh, than what we originally gave the tournament guys. And so we moved the main tournaments into that area to give them a little more controlled access for the tournaments. And it was a little bit bigger space. And of course that freed up a whole lot of room on the main floor. Right, so uh, the main floor is basically, it's, it's, the it's whole all room. new design, yes. Wow, and it's all free play. and Everything's on free play, it should be on free play. Uh, you pay your admission at the door and uh, you come in and play pretty much everything. I haven't had anybody tell me yet. Every once in a while you'll get a vendor that is trying to, to display a new product of some kind. Mm. So it's not really you know, the logistics of letting people play it while they're trying to sell whatever yeah, mod they're trying to do. Some kind of but for the most part, as far as I know, everybody, all the games are going to be on free play. Right. So speaking of new product, um, any game reveals that uh, are going to take place at the show? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you have all these these pallets arriving today with, with games on them. Yes, FedEx called yesterday with with thirty seven of the of game. That's just that's just kind of a, a, a an odd feeling when someone calls and says, "Hey, I've got thirty seven pallets, and, I, and they're all brand new pinball mm. machines. And where do you want us to set these?" And of course, I'm not at the embassy, so I'm, we're trying to call the embassy. And the embassy has been really good about. Uh, working with us and they we've been there long enough that they know what to do they 
they they put them in storage and hold them for us until everyone can get there and set them up. But but these are all you know not just not just Stern games, but it's you know Chicago Gaming and American Pinball and everybody has drop shipping their the new games direct to the the hotel. So it's worked out really well. But people often think if you have a show that size, you you've maybe got you know the entire week to set it up. But that's not the case, is it? You you don't even get into the hall until what, tomorrow. Tomorrow being correct. Your okay. Setup setup starts on Thursday. Um, we will have access to a lot of it tonight, just because the again the hotel is real good about working with us. And um, but our contract, you know, we you have to get a contract years in advance, and sure. so we have no. We didn't anticipate the show growing to the size that it's grown. And you know, two years ago we would have not known. So usually it's. Um, it, it sets up pretty smooth. Of course, Darren Cammer is our main. Uh, uh, he helps us shut up, set up the show. Uh, you have to bleep that. <laughs> no, I don't. No, we don't. No, we don't bleep anything. We don't have to bleep that. That's mild. You see, so, some of the other so, stuff so, we so, so, Darren, so Darren Cammer helps set up the show, and he's done a great job with the logistics and um, with instructions. And I think people get it. You know, that's everybody's trying to, to get set up. And so, of course, we always ask everybody to you know be patient, and we'll get you set up. And you know, we're trying to get power, and the hotel's real good about you know. The, the nice thing is that we've done this now in this location for you know four or five years now, so they they get it. The hotel understands sure. all the past vendors; they they know how it rolls, and so it, it it'll set up and tear down but, extremely. But every well. show is different in, in very many ways, I'm sure. It is every show. Every something changes a little bit, and but for the better. I mean, we mm, we learn course. every year. We will go. Okay, well, last year that didn't work out so well. So we're going to do it this way, or we'll come up with a new way of, of getting people in and out. You know, I think the, the biggest rule as far as setting up is the hotel just doesn't want people going through the glass doors, understandably, with their pinball machines. But but uh, it'll set up. It's going to happen whether, we, whether we're ready or not. So we're rolling. Yeah, right. No stopping it. Right. So you got the seminar program. You got the swap meet on Saturday morning. The swap meet's going to be huge. Huge. <laughs> Uh, it always is, but even bigger this year, you think? I, I think it's going to be even bigger than this year. Because last year we had fun coming yeah. up with two trucks with yes. play fields. And yeah, I don't know that they're going to do that. They, they might surprise us. But I had another gentleman. In fact, that reminds me, I need to call him back. And a gentleman called me that said he had a big truckload of stuff he wanted to bring to the swap meet. Oh. Of course, and that's the one thing a lot of people don't understand. The swap meet is completely free. Mm. So yeah, we, don't, we, don't, we don't charge anything for the swap meet. You don't, you know, I would like for you to have a, a show in but if you know if you're not interested in coming into the show but you got a, a giant garage full of parts and you just well, need if to you sell that them. then you can pay admission to the show exactly so if they want to come in and play but yeah that's what me there's no there's no cost to attend or sell or doing that you just you, know, you might contact uh, the DFW pinball and arcade club they kind of coordinate that for us and it yeah, helps and, and supply coffee and donuts. donuts and yep they're great they help us they're out fantastic. a lot right so and so there's a what big tournament um, there's I think yeah I think several tournaments there's a big tournament the Texas <laughs> Wizard we sold out uh, in 30 minutes the 160 players I wish I could expand I wish we could expand it but just logistically we, we can't supply that many pinball machines at this point and the space and the time that it takes maybe if we can expand the show to be you know more like Expo and be Wednesday through Sunday or we could expand the tournament size, but as of right now, it's it is for a lot is. of people. It's already sort of what I noticed last year. Uh, we were headed into the hotel on Thursday, and the hotel was already pretty packed with people for Texas Pinball Festival, even yes. though the show didn't start for another well, 
day and a half. We have to. We have need time to set up. A lot of those people are you know, vendors and exhibitors, and they're setting their games up. Right. And and uh, but the as far as the tournaments goes, yes, the the Wizards, the Bane tournament is is sold out. But we did add a, a women's tournament this year, which was fairly well received. And we added, uh, there's gonna be a bunch of side tournaments as well. So Colin and Phil uh, and uh, the new guy, Dick Curtis, they're running the tournaments. It'll be, it'll run great. Right, and you got your Safecracker games on the floor. Safecracker, I think we have three Safecrackers this year. Uh, they'll all be spitting out Texas Pinball Festival Safecracker tokens. Wow, highly now, collectible. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is a big awe, but you know, I did order new Safecracker tokens with a, a, the new official Texas Pinball Festival design on the back, but they didn't make it, so wow. they're not gonna, they're not, they're not minted yet, so. Fortunately, it's gonna be the same tokens as last year. Oh, well, still. But still cool, and a lot yeah. of people still don't have those yet. No, yeah. I haven't, I haven't got one yet. Yeah, yeah. so, and you got, uh, well, Seminars going on with uh, um, the, the, the usual suspects, I would say, yes. from the pinball industry discussing their... All, all the manufacturers will have some kind of uh, a, a seminar, uh, of course, with the exception of uh, Deep Root, who uh, isn't ready yet, and, of course, you know Dutch Pinball and uh, Highway Pinball is not coming. And uh, that was... Sorry. Sorry. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was me. Um, but yes, all of the other manufacturers will have a seminar. Of course, the Twippy Awards are going to be Saturday night. And what 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 do you guys? Uh, we'll kick off the show with our so you yes. think, you know pinball quiz. You guys do lead off the show, and I have new equipment mm -hmm. for you if you want to use it. I have new uh, audio with with wireless mics and excellent. We're doing it. Yeah. yeah. So what, whatever you give us, we will use. But yeah, we're gonna we'll be there with a bunch of wonderful volume, prizes. So the entire. Um, happy hour bar will actually participate. Well, we can try to get everybody on the upper floors, you know, around the turning outside. Actually, <laughs> try to get them to move around the building this time rather than just on the floor. Right. You know, it will be on the left hand side of the building or the right hand side of the right. building. That's going to be fun. Um, I look very much forward to this uh, weekend. I know it's going to be a, bl uh, a very busy weekend for you. Do you get to enjoy the show at all? I, I play zero pinball um, during the show. I, I do get to go enjoy the big smoke on Friday night, so that's mm -hmm. uh, I always enjoy that. I do take some time for that. Just Is it out on the patio? Again, out on the patio by the bar, bar. yes, yep. just being a cigar aficionado, and, mm -hmm. and so I do enjoy that. But otherwise, uh, I, I love the show just because you know I enjoy everybody else coming and having a good time and and uh, you know the, telling us what a good job we've done, and that's always nice. So I'll tell everybody right now: if you see me, please stop and say hello. If I'm if I'm short or I'm I don't give you the attention that you feel you deserve. I apologize. I'm usually running around pretty busy with everybody else. Right. So catch me at the big smoke or during breakdown is usually when I'm relaxing uh, at, on Sunday. Yeah, which is usually when everybody's like escaping. Like, yes. I don't want to help breaking down everything. Uh, no, they're, they're pretty good. Everyone's really good about breaking yeah. down too. So, um, but uh, no, it's going to be a real cool um, event. Anybody that is in doubt, like, should I attend? Uh, I mean, maybe if it's just a couple of hours drive for you, and like, should I go? Yes, you should go. This is the event you don't want to miss out on. This is the Tex Pimple Festival. It's the biggest show in the world. In the world, universe, galaxy. In the galaxy, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I hope everybody comes. I do want to say one other thing is, um, I know you did say, and I appreciate you. I'm the face of the show, and I know I'm the one that most people know. But uh, really, my wife Kim and Paul McKinney are—they're also organizers, 
and they play a big part. Kim is really the one that puts on the show. She, she's the one that makes it run so smoothly when you come to pick up your packets and your merchandise and it's all there for you and there's, you know, she works really hard making sure everybody has their badges and their wristbands and everything. And then Paul deals with the hotel and uh, takes care of all those logistics, which is, I mean, that's a huge thing. Right. So uh, I couldn't do it without them. And so all of our volunteers. Right, I was going to say, let's not forget about all the volunteers that are oh my goodness. helping to you run know, this show as smooth as it, you know, it, it really is a community show, and I, you know, I say this every, whenever I do do a podcast. I know I sound like a broken record, but it really is one thing that I, you know, it's a community show. I mean, we couldn't do this without the collectors and the and the vendors and you guys and people that that come and support the show and 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 help put it on. And we, right. it just it just wouldn't happen. Do you have any idea about the sort of number of people who who are working at the show who are volunteering to? know either technical or to oh. guide people or working in the booths hundred maybe maybe, wow. maybe maybe not quite not that many 75 I mean between you know, you know the crew that helps set up the show and we have you know Pam Heffron who who uh, coordinates with all the seminar people and you've met you've, or mm -hmm. you've talked yeah. with Pam back and yeah. forth there's a lot of logistics involved in that and just the volunteers working the registers and and the door checkers and People, you know, people getting games in and out. I mean, it's a huge, huge thing. And I'd, right. I, right. Mean, so all, all these people are giving their time, and uh, so I think everybody who goes to the show should be appreciative of, of the time and effort they're they're contributing to to making the show as fun yeah. as it can be. Absolutely. Don't you know? Please don't get frustrated with any of my volunteers. If you have a, if you have an issue, come find me. I'll we'll fix it. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Oh, uh, one other thing. I thought. I think you're streaming the the seminars this year. Is that or was that the plan? To we, we, that is always the plan. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't work out so well that you know we're, we're, on at the, internet we're at the mercy of the hotel's <laughs> Wi-Fi. So uh, they they've told us it's going to be better. Uh, worst case scenario is everything is going to be recorded for sure. Right. But yes, we are going to do our best to stream all the seminars. Uh, uh, Richard and Howard Barnett they they do a great job of helping us with that. And getting all the equipment set up, so we're gonna we're gonna try. But obviously, if you want to take part in them and uh, ask questions, you need to be there at the at yeah. the show in person. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And why would you not want to? Why would you not want to be there? Yeah. But uh, yeah, if if we don't get it streamed live, I promise we'll get it to you as quickly as we can on YouTube or one of the channels. Okay. So um, aside from the Texas Pinball Festival, well, we're doing this interview right here in the, at the Texas Pinball Museum. Is there anything you quickly want to say about the museum? Uh, the Texas Pinball Museum, you know, you, you gotta, gotta walk through. We're, right now we're at 26 pinball machines. It's a cool little hangout. It's really was a, um, it started out uh, when the Texas Pinball Festival wasn't going on. Kim and I and Paul have all these machines and and uh, we needed a place to, to run the show prior to and store all the merchandise. and. And we had our personal collections that were just sitting in storage. So we said, well, let's find a place and see if people want to come play down here in Midlothian, Midlothian, Texas. That's where Kim and I live. And uh, so we set up a place and it, it turned out pretty nice. I mean, I think it, it looks nice. and It does. So we're open on Saturdays, just because... Uh, you know, Obviously not this weekend. Not this weekend. We are closed this weekend for the Texas Pinball Festival. But yeah, we figure we'll be open on Saturdays, see how it goes. We'll probably expand our hours into, the, into Friday night and maybe on Sunday. As time goes on, uh, we do have uh, some cool games coming to the museum after the Texas Pinball Festival. Uh, we got Big Lebowski is on loan to us from a gentleman named Mark Scott, who's going to loan us that for a few months. Uh, we're going to have a Munsters coming, an Oktoberfest, and 
uh, some other new games that were, I think we, some older games too, a party zone, we got a party zone I got to put together. Bonsai Run, you saw back there mm -hmm. I'm working on. Yeah, right. So, yep, come by the museum. Right, okay. Well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much indeed, Ed, and um, best wishes for a fantastic show this weekend. Uh, don't, I doubt there's any uh, doubt that it will be wonderful because everybody who has been every previous year has always had a wonderful time, I'm, I'm sure. I hope so. We appreciate all the help. Right. Well, thank you um, for having us, for coming on, on our uh, podcast. Speaking of podcasts, weren't you supposed to be doing your own podcast at Top Point? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened to that. You know, it's coming. It's yeah. coming. The super duper extra awesome pinball podcast. So, well, we'll, we'll look see. forward to that. I think, I think we're going to win the Twippy Awards for best podcast. I think 2018. It's a shoe in, isn't it? I bet, I, I bet we got some votes. I don't know, but I bet we got some votes. Okay. So anyway, but yep. I don't know. We'll get around to it. I'm busy. I got things going on. Right. Sure. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Indeed. All right. Thanks, guys. Yes, thanks to Ed for that, uh, that interview. Um, I hope you found it interesting. And uh, yes, he's going to be a very busy guy over the next few days um, and weeks, you know, not only with the show and the museum, but also with his, uh, his bid to, uh, to be the mayor of Midlothian. Which we were not supposed to be mentioning. Okay, then we won't mention that. Good. That's clear. Right, so um, without further ado, let's move on straight to uh, Multimorphics, Jerry Stellenberg, founder of the company and still involved in every aspect of the company. It's a very um, uh, hands-on guy, I would say, in the sense that he's involved with basically anything from, from cleaning the trash bin to... Um, designing games and and everything to keep the company logistically moving forward and uh, um, yeah he's definitely on the on the rotor for cleaning the toilets he told us along with uh, every other member of staff there but it was interesting for me particularly to see Jerry this year in a, a very much more relaxed state than he had been in previous years he, he wasn't um, in any way concerned about the reliability or the um, the presentation they were going to be giving of their, their new uh, four-way racing uh, CCR game. Uh, he's, he's very happy with the way that the company is and the way that the product is. So uh, he, he's a very laid-back guy at the moment, and uh, it's, it was nice to see him and the rest of the team, of course, right. also uh, quite comfortable with with what they're going to be showing. Right. So um, so let's dive into uh, what Jerry has to say. Um, uh, I need to. I'm not sure where I need to, but. Uh, most of the questions from the, uh, in this interview are asked by Martin. It was rather late, and the jet lag was kicking in rather heavy on my end. So uh, I was present, but not as I much. I think you're underplaying your role. You, you'll hear anyway in, in this uh, interview with Jerry from Multimorphic. We're here at the Multimorphic Development and and Production Facility here in Round Rock in Texas, and um, Jonathan and I are here with uh, the head of Multimorphic, uh, Jerry Stellenberg. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. How are you doing, guys? Very good. And um, tell us about this, this place, because um, we weren't actually expecting particularly to be here, because um, we, we knew that in the past you had been uh, manufacturing your games using contract manufacturers, um, and yet here we are at a, at a production facility for Multimorphic. So, so what's, what's going on here, and how long have you been here? Yeah, so we've made the change from contract manufacturing to our own production facility, largely because we learned that in order for the production team at a contract manufacturer shop to be effective, 
building something as complex as a pinball machine with lots of different pieces and parts and part numbers and sub-assemblies and testing needs that we essentially had to live there and do our jobs next to them. And instead of living in somebody else's manufacturing place and working with their labor and paying markup for their labor, mm -hmm. it's cheaper for us, it's more effective for us, it's more efficient of use of our time if we have our own spot. So we moved into this building about four months ago. It's a 5,000 square foot facility and we're, uh, we're looking to grow from a few machines a week to uh, a good number of machines a week as we start pumping out P3s. But one of the one of the key benefits of using a contract manufacturer would be that they don't have to be busy all the time building games for you. You know, if you've got a burst of games, they can build them and then you're not paying them anymore. Whereas if you're here, you have to be building games all the time or building something or developing something all the time. Yeah, sure. There's the business side of the discussion and there's the ethical or moral part of the discussion. I wouldn't feel right even paying a contract manufacturer to go hire 10 people to support a short burst of of manufacturing then tell them we're done go fire your people or lay them off um, some contract manufacturers have enough business where they can just reallocate those resources to somewhere else but the one we were using didn't they were a, a pretty small organization and and brought in people just to build our pinball machines and our play fields so the ethical side of it or, or the the compassionate side of it is is the same for us but yes now we have to better manage our own growth and make sure we don't hire too many people too fast and make sure that we have enough business to to keep them all busy or else um, we'd have to do the same thing and lay them off and we don't want to have to do that right um is working with um like temps an option or is working with pinball machines uh, and temps not a good combination because people need to be really skilled in knowing what they should be doing So in our experience, building pinball machines is, is only as complex as you allow it to be. And here we have very well-defined assembly instructions and drawings. And one of the reasons we're here sitting next to the, the assemblers is so that we can answer any questions and we can, we can even help them work side by side with them, build along with them if we need additional manpower. But um, temp workers you usually usually pay some kind of a markup for use of the labor use of the talent pool and and it's just more effective for us to keep the growth slow and steady and hire a couple people at a time to learn what we're doing to feel like they're involved with the company to have some emotional buy-in to the equipment and the in the machines they're building mm -hmm. that usually translates to them caring more and them being more careful And then also when we have discussions about how efficient they are, how quickly they're building things, if, if they're emotionally tied to the success of the company, if they have stock options, for example, in the company, then they're more motivated to do a good job but do it efficiently. So temp, temp laborers wouldn't, wouldn't have that. The people sure. would just come in, do a job, get paid their, their eight to five or eight to six or whatever, five days a week job and go home and not care. Right. So what you're building is a, a pinball platform. And that platform supports a number of different games, a number of different play fields uh, or modules. How much of the time is spent in, or how much of the resources are spent in building kind of like the base platform system and how much is, is spent in, in building the individual um, play field modules and the components that go onto that, which are, which are you know, not unique to every game, but they're, they're unique to every set of games? 
So you're asking about building or yeah, the building, the building of them here. Okay. What goes on here? So the the base P3, the the physical platform that the upper playfields sit into, takes about uh, four to five man days worth of time to build. Whereas a playfield generally takes uh, a simple one like Cannon Lagoon takes about two hours. Mm-hmm. A more complex one like Lexi Lightspeed might take nine or ten hours. Cosmic Kart Racing, our third upper playfield module, our latest game release, takes a couple more hours than that. It's about a 14 to 15 hour build so far. Is that because of all the LED strips? Because of the way we've got uh, magnets and fan shrouds and LEDs working through them, and it's just a a very complex build with a lot of pieces that have to fit together in just the right right way to make it all all function. Um, But so we spend most of the time building platforms, and then when people order specific games, we can usually crank them out to order within a day or two. Right, okay, that's pretty responsive then, really. Right, so um, so this afternoon we basically got the factory tour. Um, I have to say I was very impressed with how you um, uh, were went into detail of all of the different aspects that you're dealing with when it comes to uh, running a company and facilitating a production and so on because everything is documented and um, that that's a, a, a process which is also taking up a lot of time I assume. Sure, as a, as a small organization, I mean, we're, we're still, I still consider us a startup. We're, we're wearing a lot of hats i'm some days i'm I'm the team lead i'm the manager i'm watching the guys develop uh, mechanical sub assemblies or i'm helping the design team work through whatever design aspects in the new game they're working on Uh, i wear all those hats because i have to i own the company and i hire people to do specific other things mechanical engineering or art development or whatever it is assembly um, I wind up managing logistics of, of purchasing parts and staging inventory and, and dealing with all the vendors and working through RMAs with the vendors. We get a lot of parts from a lot of different places, some in the U.S., some overseas, and there are issues with almost every shipment of parts from everybody. Um, it doesn't matter where they're coming from, but it's a lot more of a logistical hassle when you're dealing with an overseas vendor and they have 30% fallout on their parts. and. Or they have a whole shipment of parts that, for some reason, that didn't meet your specs. What that, do you do about that? That's happened in the past. It, it happens fairly often that some percentage of, of an order is wrong or mm. didn't meet specs or got damaged in shipping. They didn't package them well enough and they come and you have a bunch of sheet metal that's scratched or, or something like that. So the logistical management, unfortunately, takes a good 30 to 40% of my time when I'd rather be working with the assemblers and working on designing new games. So you describe yourself as still around to like a startup, but you actually have quite a, a range of different um, sources for your games. You have in-house developed games, you have um, external company developed games, and you even now your latest game, Hooping It Up, is actually uh, a customer developed game. Yeah. Um, is this something which you foresaw when you started and is it something which you you're you're comfortable and happy with and want to want to expand the the possible you know sources of your game designs did we foresee it yes in fact we designed the company around that paradigm um, the the 
the paradigm of the P3 is to be a platform machine in very much the same way that video game consoles turned the video game stand-up arcades into a, a platform. Um, computers are a platform. Mobile phones are a platform where you, you buy the hardware once and then people develop apps for it and you can you can do a lot more things with it. That's what the P3 is intended to be. We developed, and I'm an engineer, I, I spend most of my time thinking about, when I'm really having fun, I'm thinking about low-level development of digital logic or how things can work <laughs> together or low-level software development, all those all those things most people find very boring and that's, that's what I thrive on. So I came up with this concept for a pinball platform, a modular pinball platform, um, that's the hardware side. We can swap in games and play fields and different modules and the flipper assembly slides in and out and you can change that up. But for the whole ecosystem to work, we needed a platform concept for developers as well. So we distribute, and we've been distributing it for a year or so now, a development kit, a software development kit for the P3 where people can download basically uh, about 60 to 70% of the code that goes into any game is common. Hmm. So they can download that from us and they can go implement their, what we call the fun. They can go implement game-specific content on top of our libraries and turn that into a game or a game application. If they want to, they can go off and design a playfield module for a game as well, but they don't have to. They can make use of existing playfields and just design new software applications, which is what Greg did for Hooping It Up recently. Right, so tell us about that, that game. How, how did that come about, and, um, and how would people get it if they wanted it? Yeah, so Greg Goldie, the developer, he lives in Colorado. I met him at um, the Rocky Mountain show a couple of years ago. He was interested in the platform. He bought a P3 for himself. But he's, a, he's now a retired software developer slash manager. He worked at Dish Network for a while retired from there and he's he's long been a pinball hobbyist and he's built a couple of of ground up builds of uh, I believe it was Medieval Madness and Cactus Canyon and he does a lot of refurbishing and repairing pinball machines and he's always wanted to design his own game but to design your own or to build your own pinball machine you've got to be an expert in a lot of different disciplines mm -hmm. uh, specifically there's hardware development and mechanical development and then you need all the resources to put this thing together so he liked the fact that this P3 platform was an already fully developed, mature platform onto which he could just implement his concept for what would be a fun, a fun game to play. And he did that. He took the Lexi Lightspeed Playfield that we use, mm -hmm. that we've been distributing and, and selling since the beginning of the P3, and he implemented a basketball-themed game, hooped it up, on top of the platform. He did it for a lot of reasons, but... It was, he calls it a bucket list item. He always wanted to develop a game and the P3 allowed him to do that. So he developed the game. He, uh, we were talking a lot about how he wanted to distribute it and whether or not he wanted to sell it or make it available for others. And he chose to offer it out as a, as a free software update to all existing P3 owners. And would it be fair to say that everybody or nearly everybody would have the Lexi Lightspeed Playfield um, in their game if they have a P3. Yes, nearly everyone. Yeah. Uh, people are given the choice when they buy a P3 what what they want it to come with. Most people buy it with the Lexi Lightspeed and then uh, Playfield module and then add mini games to it or, or buy additional Playfields. A lot of the early buyers got it with both Lexi Lightspeed and Cannon Lagoon. Yeah. 
but a few didn't want Lexi. They wanted to put it on location or in a in an area that's frequented by kids or or whatever. So they just bought it with the Ken and Lagoon play field. Right. So those people wouldn't be able to run hooping yeah. it up, but everyone else. For everyone else, it's a free download. That's right. It's go to the, uh, the Multimorphic website, yeah. add it to their cart at a cost of zero. They don't even need to add it to their cart. Yeah. It's actually uh, every user has an account on the site that lists all the software that their P3 can run. So right. they just have to log into their account, download the software, and, and install it. And it's been added to the list. It's already there. Right. So, um, so there's three different game modules right now for the game, but there's more games being developed for those three. Um, uh, are you also working on a fourth game? Can you talk about that? <laughs> we call it Quattro because it's the fourth game. Um, so no, we're not actually, we're, we're keeping everything secret until we're ready to release the game. Okay. So. You're working on a game that you can't confirm that you're working on. I can confirm. I can confirm. We have a whole team of people working on it, actually. And this is the first game. This fourth game. So, the P3 is kind of my my baby. It's this concept I came up with and helped develop it from the ground up. And I've been a part of the design teams for all of our games so far: Lexi Lightspeed, Cannon Lagoon, Cosmic Heart Racing. All the playfields. All the playfields. Yeah. Uh, most of the mini games. Mm -hmm. Not all the mini games, but most of the mini games. But this fourth game is one that I've completely removed myself from the design team. I helped get this platform off the ground, and I still have ideas for games I wanna, I wanna see developed. But I want people to, uh, I want other people on the team to have a chance to put their vision into the machine. And the fourth machine is not going to be something that's trying out a ton of new ideas and implementing new weird hardware mm. and, and trying to do software in a different way than people are used to. Now that's what that's what I like to do, but that's not necessarily what all uh, pinball community guys. So, so it's more like. evolutionary rather than revolutionary. This fourth fourth game will be a traditional style pinball game. And you said you're not going to announce it until it's ready, but you mean that ready to ship? That people once people have seen it, they can order it from you and get it that's, in, in short order. That's correct. I don't want to show off a game and then have it take three or four or five months for people to to receive there. So the day we announce it, we will have playfields ready to ship. Okay. Um, would the day that you announce it still be in 2019? I don't know. If it's ready in 2019, <laughs> it will it will be announced in 2019. If it's not, it won't be. Okay. okay, one of the things that you are going to be showing in 2019, though, is um, at the Texas Pinball Festival, you'll be showing your, your four-way cosmic kart racing head-to-head yeah. -head battle, and um, that, I think that's the first time that anybody would have seen it, <laughs> almost the first time anybody's seen it in the factory, but uh, uh, a couple of weeks after you managed to do that, it'll be at the show, so do you want to tell us a little bit about how that works and... Um, and also how that varies from what we might have seen before with the, the single player or, or the two player versions. Yeah, so the, the multi-machine gaming concept has been something we've wanted to explore for a while. We, uh, we've been showing off a game called Heads Up, a two machine multiplayer thing the last couple of years at TPF, Texas Pinball Festival. And it's almost been universally loved. People walk up to this game and it allows you to play against your friend and you can battle, shoot the good shots and you get points, shoot the bad shots, your ball goes to the other player and two people and two machines having a lot of fun. Um, that was actually a test software application to make sure that we had the infrastructure in place to handle uh, a broader scale multi-machine 
game, which is what cosmic kart racing is. Cosmic kart racing is what you think of when you're thinking about kart style racing games. It's it's a bunch of vehicles on a track playing power-ups against each other and trying to proceed and win the race and I'm trying to, you know, win a few in a row and show your friends that you're consistently better than them and, and, and all that stuff. That's what racing is. And racing mm. only works if you're playing against people at the same time. Yeah, you need the bragging rights to say, you in, know, in pinball, I'm the champ. Yeah. And in pinball, traditionally, when you play a multiplayer game, you take a turn at the machine and then you lose the ball and switch off and then another person. Mm. But you can't race against people that way. No. So Cosmic Heart Racing has a mode where you can play a four-player iterative game like that where you race a heat and if you win the heat you can move on and then someone else will race and if they win the heat they move on. But you're not competing directly against them. This multiplayer is truly simultaneous multiplayer. It's four people, up to four people, mm -hmm. each on their own machine, all connected together, all racing against each other. The person who hits the shots the best, the fastest, or plays the best power-ups is going to win the race. And of course, you're showing it with all four machines connected to the same network. Right. But presumably, these can be in different locations connected via the internet. That's right. So the the, the video game ling ling linguistics is LAN play versus WAN play. So yeah. local area network is what we're showing at TPF. And we're currently developing the servers, the external internet servers, to... Um, match make to allow people on multiple machines anywhere in the world to connect to each other and play. So they would all need to connect back to your server somewhere for, for all the data to be shared between the machines? Yes, to, to a public multimorphic yes. server, yes. Right, okay. So, but, okay, if, I mean, even if, if you have a game in one room and another game in the second room, how do you know other people are, are ready to play or compete with you? So we have what's called a networking uh, lobby. And a lot of uh, online video games have something similar mm. where you tell your machine you want to play against people in the world, on the internet. And you can either set up and host a race or you can join an existing race. So you basically configure your machine the way you want and then it talks to the server. The server sends you a list of, if you want to join an existing race, the server will send you a list of available races. It'll show up on your screen, and with the flipper buttons, you can scroll down the list and select which game you want to join. You'll hit a, the start button or the launch button, and it'll join an existing race. And then that will basically tell your P3 to talk to that person's P3. And it'll then act just like you were in the same room, and it'll, it'll connect you and let you play. I presume there's a lot more sort of behind the scenes than people really imagine, first of all, because you have to be able to control who you can join for races, who can join your races. You don't want to just make your machine available to everyone necessarily. You might have a friend list. Right. That, and, of course, now what's the window between you... Oh, if you've just, just started a race and somebody wants to join, they have to then wait until the race is finished and join the next one. Yep. Um, so the, these are these are common problems or, or common yeah. things people consider in multiplayer video games. It's not a new problem yeah. we had to solve. There, but, it's, but it's new for pinball. That's correct. But we're the P3 is built on a software engine called the Unity game engine, which is heavily used for video games, but m commonly for multiplayer networked video games. Um, games that were written for existing video game consoles or for mobile phone platforms or, or those kind of things. So there's infrastructure in an engine like that to handle the multi-machine connectivity. They actually, Unity actually has their own 
matchmaking service, which they charge a fee for, and and it, it can get pretty expensive depending on mm-hmm. on your your structure. Um, but the, our needs are very simple at this point, so we're implementing our own matchmaking server, and we'll allow people to connect that way. And for people who are going to the Texas show this weekend, uh, what else are they going to be able to see on the multimorphic stand? Yeah, so we'll have the four machine CCR setup, Cosmic Kart Racing setup. We'll have um, two machines with the Cannon Lagoon playfield, probably split in time between Cannon Lagoon and Grand Slam Rally, and then we'll switch it over to our two-game heads-up thing, with which people really seem to enjoy at these shows. We'll have a, a seventh machine there. Um, that'll be set up with the Lexi Lightspeed playfield, and most of the time it'll be Lexi Lightspeed, but we'll also switch it over to the new Hoopin' It Up game so people can experience that new game. All right. So um, you mentioned... The, um, not being a part of the creative team for the fourth game but could it be in the future that once that game is out there that you might get an itch and you're like you know what I'm gonna reprogram the whole thing and <laughs> just do what I think I can do with this playfield or is are you way too busy to even consider that e- yeah there's there's lots of things that go through probably every pinball fan's head or mind when they see a play field and they either connect with or don't connect to the rules. Um, while I'm not directly involved in the creative team, I am managing the creative team for the game. I'm making sure they're on schedule. I'm making sure they're creating a game that I think will will relate to people and pinball hobbyists and, and that will sell well. So I do have some input into the direction of the game. I'm just not making the 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 little, little choices or the the decisions about characters and and how the rules play out and those kind of things but the neat thing about the p3 is because we have this developers kit anybody can rewrite rules for existing play fields um, yes i probably will want to rewrite rules for every play field we have but like you said i i likely won't have the time to do that so um, but the other important part about it is to make a fun immersive pinball experience it takes a lot more than just one person usually i mean there 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 are outliers the scott denisis of the world who make games that everyone seems to universally love and he did most of that by himself with a little bit of help from the community but but pretty much by himself that's that's a rarity when you have a big lcd screen like we do in the p3 and you you have this engine that you need to fill with content to make the experience immersive it requires a, a usually a lot of people and a lot of money so it's not just something that I would jump on haphazardly and try to spit out a new rule set for a game without without thinking through a you know a, a, a well structured game design. If someone did have the passion and maybe the, the support from their colleagues and friends and decided they wanted to take an existing playfield that already that you already have for the P3 and build a new game, but they don't have a P3 themselves. Mm-hmm. Would they need a, to buy one in order to do it, or could they do it all in software and, and then at the very end find out exactly how it plays? They can, and people have developed entire P3 games without a machine. In fact, we got uh, I got an email, if it's, it's been about a year, from a developer who was out in Australia who heard about the P3, wanted to develop a game. I sent him the development kit about t- nine or ten months ago, didn't hear from him for a long time and literally three months ago he emails me he said hey my game's ready try it out on the machine and let me know what needs to be fixed Mm -hmm. Um, 
the P3 development kit is a software infrastructure. It's a software framework built around Unity, but Unity has a simulation environment in it that we've added, uh, we've added context for it. We've added the pinball interface to it. So people can fully develop a game and simulate it by clicking buttons on their computer. So while they don't have the, phys- the physical uh, ball mm-hmm. rolling around the play field, they can mimic that with the mouse on their screen. They can hit keyboard keys to represent switch events where the ball rolls through an orbit or over a ramp or, or whatever. And they can fully simulate the process. So um, it's much easier to develop a game and to debug it with a machine, but you don't need it. Does it go as far as uh, any any help with the, the hardware layout? Uh, you, you know, like if you shoot this ramp, then this switch will close and that switch will close, and that one on the entry, that one on the exit, confirm you made the switch, uh, made the ramp, or is it all literally? You know, here's a switch closure that says the entry, here's a switch closure that says the exit, and they happen to be associated with that ramp. You know, there's no. You take the ball, roll it around with your mouse up the ramp, and this switch closes, and then that switch closes. Right. No, we're not currently doing anything with physics in the simulation engine, and we're not doing anything with uh, pre-simulated timing. Um, And what I mean by that is if you wanted to mimic a ball going around a ramp, you would have to hit the keyboard button at the entry point, wait, whatever, half a Mm -hmm. second later, hit another button at the exit point. Or... You can take advantage of the existing module drivers. We, we that's what we call the uh, software layer that handles the uh, the logic for how a playfield module works. Right. Um, yes. And what that does is it handles the logic for what happens when the entry switch is hit and then the exit switch is hit, and then it sends you a higher level event saying you made the ramp. Right. And then your code can just look for that event called ramp make event or whatever it happens to be called and write your reaction to that score points or play an animation or do and you update that every time a new play field is produced that's correct that's correct and we do that because there are other games that we develop for the same playfields. we have games like barnyard and rocks and Mm. and lexi lightspeed secret agent showdown mini games we call them that are software applications that work with existing hardware a game like Barnyard works with the Lexi Lightspeed playfield and the Cannon Lagoon playfield, and it will soon work with the Cosmic Car Racing playfield because we handle a lot of the low-level details about the shots of the playfield in private code, in, in code that we wrote to describe how the playfield should work. So the app developer just says, hey, if I ever get an event about a ramp, I'm going to score this point or... or or flip this animal around in the case of mm-hmm. barnyard. Um, if the ball goes into a hole ever on any playfield, then I'll do this. So, right. so people can just tie into the code we've developed for the hardware. Okay. So um, over the past four months, you've been setting up this new facility. Yep. Obviously, you've been developing the whole uh, P3 concept for the past six, almost seven years. Um, but now that you've got things rolling over here, does it mean that um, as busy as you are with the logistic end of things sort of in place and taken care of, uh, does that mean that you get to spend more time on designing <laughs> or programming or the, the, the more of the fun stuff instead of the stuff that needs to be done to make sure that everybody can do their job? 
I, I hope the answer to that someday is yes, but no, we're not even close to that now. Um, what I said before about me handling all the the day to day stuff to let the experts do the expert things that that's that's how it is. I fill orders. I I pack packages and send them off and, and handle all the interfacing to the shipping companies. Uh, there's a lot to do to run a pinball organization. These aren't software applications that you program and then make it downloadable online and that's all your company's doing. This this is a very complex product with so many moving parts, literally and figuratively. The business has so many moving parts as well. And in order for us to survive as an unfunded, uh, basically a bootstrapped company with a very limited staff, I have to do a lot of the stuff to offload and allow my team to be successful, to be effective. And I'm, I don't like doing a lot of it, but it has to be done, so I do it. So since you've moved in here in four months, um, you're obviously set up to build games and, and modules or, or playfields. But this isn't how it's going to end. The, the layout of the building isn't how it's going to ultimately be. Um, what changes are you going to be making over the next year or so as far as the, the production flow of games and, and, and playfields goes from the, uh, the, the parts and the, and the pre-assembled element to producing a finished game or a finished playfield that goes out the door to the customer? Yeah, so w we moved in here and had to get started building playfields and machines pretty quickly. So the floor isn't set up as we'd like it yet. Um, right now we just have a couple of tables where uh, um, people that are building the actual playfields and, and, and structure of the machine, they all work on workstations. But the P3 is different than a traditional machine, so it's you can't really compare us to a company like Stern or Jersey Jag or somebody who has a, a long assembly line of, uh, of a like roller tables where a playfield rolls through and somebody puts this wire assembly on and then somebody puts a ramp on or whatever. The, the P3 is modular. So we develop or we assemble all of the individual sub-assemblies, like the wall and scoop assembly or a flipper assembly or a, a, the vertical up kicker ball trough assembly. All these things are, are assembled on a table. Um, there are part shelves against the wall. The, the incoming parts are received in inventory and inspected and then inventoried basically against the wall. Somebody stages the parts from the inventory into a workstation. That workstation generally has a table where there's an assembler running through the work instructions, grabbing parts out of the part bins and assembling them to the instructions. And right now that's just a couple of tables, but it, our, our future plans as we grow our volumes and, and fully, uh, fully finish our move into this building, we'll have six or seven work cells, is what we call them, where people are building sub-assemblies. All these sub-assemblies will get staged in unit test areas just beyond that. Mm -hmm. so that all the assemblies are, are, are known to be working yeah. before they're gone and put into a machine. Um, beyond the test assembly or the test uh, tables will be a final assembly section where cabinets meet all the playfield parts. Everything gets assembled into a cabinet. Now it looks like a pinball machine and we go to a final testing area where things are quality controlled. People inspect them and people play test them. And then they basically work their way towards the shipping door and they get into a box and palletized and then out to a shipping truck. And the games will always leave the factory here or the, the manufacturing facility um, as a complete game. It'll have a, 
a play field installed in it always? Today, yes. Today, every machine we ship has a play field. Mm-hmm. Um, we envision a day where somebody has a P3 and six or seven play fields, and they want to play more than one at once, or they want to have a party and be able to set up multiple machines with multiple play fields. And we're not going to force them to buy no, a machine <laughs> with another play field. Yeah. yeah. So at some point, we'll probably offer a base platform without a play field. But today... Today, our customer base and, and our, our game library isn't big enough to, to need that. And you have got to the point where all, all the pre-orders have been fulfilled. Yes. Um, so we, everyone who bought before they could, they could, um, they could actually pick it up have, have their machine. That's right. We had a bunch of people order day one when we announced machines, and it took us a few years to get in their games. We didn't spend any of their money, though. Uh, we shipped their machines. We had more people pre-order Cosmic Kart Racing. All of those machines and all of those playfields have shipped. So we currently owe nobody anything. Everything we build moving forward will be to fill new orders. Right. Well, it's very impressive. Um, at least I was very impressed seeing what you uh, set up with so much eye for uh, detail. Um, Having seen other operations work, um, I might get the impression that some of them work with a little bit of less detail than uh, the way you structure things over here. Is that something that you notice as well? And is that um, how do you feel about that? If if something like that occurred to you as well? So, so I mean, some startups. In all industries, I'm familiar with the electronics and the uh, like, networking equipment industries. There are startups where you just ignore process and you ignore all the logistics and you just get people in a room and make stuff. You write software, you design hardware, you build stuff. Make a call to a vendor, get some stuff in, assemble it and ship it out. Um, that's fine in the very short term for a very small organization with very few customers. But if you want to be able to grow and expand and ship products to thousands of customers as we do as a pinball manufacturer, you have to have the infrastructure in place to support that. If we didn't do that today, then we'd get six months or a year down the road, we'd have more customers wanting machines, and we wouldn't know if we have the right parts to assemble them because we wouldn't have the logistics figured out or or we get to a point where we're screwed because we have a machine 90% together and we realize, oh crap, we don't have enough pieces of flipper plastic to put the flipper assembly together. So all of that has to be in place in order to, to grow. There, there are some business owners who start their company with the sole purpose to sell a machine or to sell their, to sell their business. Um, and they take a lot of shortcuts when they do that. If, if the end goal is, I wanna sell my company in five years, I'm not going to spend the time making the company uh, structured so that it could last 10 or 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. But if you do set up a company to last 20 years and somebody comes in five years later and wants to buy you out, you, cool, you're, 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 it doesn't matter. You're helping that company out. And if they don't do that, you're structured to keep running. If you set up your company to sell in five years and no one comes in five years to buy you and you've got to try to grow your business beyond that, you've kind of shot yourself in the foot. So we've structured the business in a way that should allow us to grow smoothly for years. That's for many years, not for years. <laughs> right. For a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And, and how much of the sort of stock control and uh, inventory and, and bill of materials as well has, has been helped by the fact that you do have a base platform and for every single machine that you send out, everything except for the upper playfield module is hardware identical. So you, if you're going to build a game, you know what's going to go into that game in its entirety, with the exception of the upper playing field, which could be built separately. That's got to be a much, much um, easier way. Not that any of it's easy, because making pinball is hard, as we know. But that must make things easier in terms of stock control and parts control. You know, it's not like well, this bit is slightly different from on this game than it was on the previous game. So that's right. that's going to be another part number. You know, and and on that particular um, point, has the platform changed much over the over from the moment when you first produced the, the, the very first game, game number one, to what you're producing now? So it actually the f the fact that we have a common platform doesn't really change how we would work if we had multiple different full machines, because in our mind. Every part of the machine is an assembly. Um, the phrase we usually use is subassembly, or the word subassembly. A subassembly has a bill of materials, it has assembly instructions, mm -hmm. it has test instructions, and it has a final part number. So all we're doing, whether it's an entire machine that's custom unique, or whether it's a base platform, or whether it's a, an upper playfield module, all these things are assemblies. They all have a bill of materials. That bill of materials may be made up of multiple other sub-assemblies, but everything is defined in a document that describes exactly what goes into it. So if you, if you want, just view them all as separate products, mm. and you're developing a product, and at, at the end of developing a flipper assembly product, it, it goes to a place where that product is combined with another product, and, and they get assembled together. Um, the logistics is the same in both cases. And, and uh, on the second point is the is the base P3 platform that you're producing now the same as the original one that you, the first one that went out the door. We've actually had very few changes to the base platform. We have a couple couple ideas to um, cost reduce certain assemblies moving forward so that we can sustain um, better growth or quicker growth and, and work better with our margins. But the platform itself has had no major changes. It's had a couple of minor things like um, we changed the structure of the rear support brace so it's more likely to survive a heavy shipping, a heavy vibration during shipping without mm -hmm. bolts breaking or getting sheared off or something. The P3 is a heavy machine, so it's got a lot of uh, support structure that um, a couple of early shipments had some issues. We've changed a couple of plastics on the Lexi Lightspeed Playfield because we had to keep balls out of areas where balls would get stuck. We've changed a couple of wiring harnesses like in the wall scoop assembly because we learned after they run on location for six or seven months they could start to, to rub against a, a couple of brackets and, and maybe break. So we've changed a bunch of minor things, but all those changes get rolled into what we call engineering change orders. So this technical term for we make an engineering change that feeds back through the system. We update our bombs, we update our assembly instructions, we update our test instructions so that all future games have those changes. What about things like you know, adding a, a back box monitor? How does that fit in with um, 
with previous purchasers who, who bought Game Week before that was available. Yeah, the Backbox monitor is something we've always wanted to do, but we needed to get a machine out, so we, so we didn't get that <laughs> dynamic uh, Backbox display in until recently. But uh, that thing is backwards compatible, so all existing P3 owners can purchase a P3 Backbox display kit. It ships with a couple of mounting brackets that get screwed into the existing Backbox, and we have full instructions and pictures for doing that. Um, and then the, the new display literally just replaces the translate in an existing game. But it's not a, a requirement for no. any game, it's, it's an, an additional bonus feature. Right, so the P3, as most people know, has a large LCD in the play field, which is where most people are looking while they're playing. Hmm. But there are a couple reasons people like to add this back box display. One is when you're having parties or other people over, it's much easier to watch the progress you're making in a game by looking up high instead of trying to look over your shoulder on, on what you're doing on the play field. And also, when you change games in a P3, if you're playing Lexi Lightspeed and you want to play a game of rocks or something, if the machine has the Lexi Lightspeed translate in the back box and you play rocks, it still looks like Lexi Lightspeed at the top. Mm-hmm. So with the dynamic display in there, when you change games, the LCD content changes to represent the game you're playing, which makes it a more connected experience. All right. Um, so you've been um, almost running this uh, concept for seven years. Um, we briefly mentioned the upcoming fourth game, which is more of, like you said, uh, traditional type of gameplay with the platform being as innovative as it is what type of games would you like to see being developed in the future uh, that will represent the, the, the P3 or that you hope will be catching on uh, with people or uh, I mean uh, if, if we look at the history of pinball uh, we come from the EM days with very simple games which are easy to understand and um, slow ball movement. We have uh, come to very fast and deep games um, and there's a lot of uh, various types of games in between. So is there any preference that you are like, well, this platform might really like it to be to go into this direction or that direction and how do you envision that if that's something that you can discuss yeah that's a deep question because uh, there's a lot to talk about there but um with the one caveat that i love the fact we've developed a platform to allow other people to implement whatever type of games they want to implement Um, so whatever i say here if somebody wants to go implement a, a simple children's game or a super deep complex pinhead game because that's what they like then that's that's fantastic. I personally am a I'm a big fan of games from the late '80s, early '90s. I I got into pinball in college, and the the games that were out around then were Theater Magic, Attack from Mars, Whitewater, those those kind of games. And I still relate to them the best. I think they were the rules depth was was perfect. Um, it's complex enough that it provides a challenge, and there are different strategies you can use to play the game. But they're not so deep that that you kind of lose focus on what you're doing because you're trying to navigate a bunch of a bunch of rules that all either tie together or don't tie together in in, in weird ways. I I'm not a big fan of the newer games that have you selecting 
which way you want to play it before you hit the start button and and put heavy focus on play field multipliers and hitting shots within certain timing to take advantage of scoring bonuses and um, with the caveat that that certain hurry ups are a lot of fun it, it, but Playfield multipliers that expire over time, and if you hit a sequence of shots, you then you, that sets up a multiplier for another shot. None of that interests me. That's all too complex, and people don't understand that. And people walking up to a game in an arcade, they shouldn't have to understand any of that. So I like to implement, um, and I'd like to see my team implement rules that are um, deep enough to be interesting, but not so overwhelmingly deep that they take away some of the fun factor. I personally play Attack from Mars and I've ruled the universe, I think I'm up to 91 times. And I still can't wait to hit the start button again because something about the game is fun. Um, as opposed to other games that are so deep that I beat them once, I get to the end of, of a game and I never want to go through that long slog again because it's just tiresome. I like games that a uh, 10 or 15 minute game, you're close to the end of it. You've experienced a lot of it. You, you've, you've maybe lost a ball or two but it's given you enough to do and it's given you an enough immersion and enough audio and visual feedback that you're excited about hitting that next shot because you know the payoff for hitting that one shot is going to be really cool yeah. if, if somebody had developed a game um, be it a super complex game or a remarkably simple one or even something which is kind of almost a, a work in progress or something that would spur other people on to finish it. How would they get that published and available to everybody who has a P3? Now, are there certain quality thresholds, certain technical requirements that they have to meet in order for it to be available on, the, on everybody's page to download? Yeah, so pinball is a little different than like a computer system where you don't have to worry too much about somebody writing bad code and blowing something up. Mm. But if somebody writes a P3 game and accidentally locks on a coil and that starts a fire in somebody's house, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of potential uh, danger to just running random people's code. So our process for allowing people to release games is to sign up on our site as a de developer. Once they're approved as a as a developer, they can send us their concepts for the games or not. They can allow us to see their progress through the development of the game or not. We have a lot of experience and can help them through various um, stumbling blocks and technical details and all that stuff. But eventually they get to the end of their development. They have a game that they're excited to distribute. They can build it and download it, and, and or not download it, they have it, uh, build it and install it on their own P3 and test it as much as they want. They can play it as much as they want. But if they want to distribute it, then they have to submit it to us for testing um, to make sure it meets all, all of our release our release uh, qualifications and make sure it doesn't lock on coils or, or it, it, it is a playable game um, mm -hmm. and then we will link it to our website and allow it to be sold to other people but it has to be in a, in a finished state I guess so you, don't want, you don't want people to say okay I've written the game up to this point I kind of can't work out how to finish this um, any ideas and anybody wants to take this on here it is download it right so we as a company have uh, some quality metrics that we want all games to meet mm. 
Um, some of that is level of completion. Some of it is content. We don't want um, certain types of content, adult-oriented content, mm. for example, to just be easily distributed on the P3. Um, if if people want to develop that kind of thing and we can qualify it as a certain uh, a certain type of game, then, then that's something we'll explore. But in, in the short term, as we get started as a company, we have we want the machines to be generally family friendly. We don't want to have offensive games. We don't want to have things that um, will turn people off of the platform. Yeah. I mean, every game that's on the system has to be downloaded through the uh, the into the you know, multimorphic. I call it a web store or app store, but you know, a game store. Well, yeah, in a sense, in a sense, the Apple the the Apple App Store is kind mm. of a. a good metaphor for what we're doing. We, we want to make sure that the games people have access to are properly tested and released in a state that we're proud of them. So how would that work if someone is actually designing his own playfield module as well? Because uh, if it's just code for an existing playfield, then they can send that over and you can test that here in a, in a, in a game. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that playfield module, then that's more difficult. It's more difficult, but if they want to sell a game with a playfield, it's got to be manufactured anyway. So at some point, someone has to validate that it meets the that it meets the mechanical constraints of the system. It fits. It's electrically. Uh, it connects the right way. It talks to things properly. It talks to the driver board. So, so the point is that they're going to have to send us a version of that playfield to test anyway before it can be released. Right. Um, if someone is developing a a third-party playfield that might also indicate they might be doing manufacturing of those playfields themselves or is it something that you'd like to keep under control by yourself yeah no that's fine um, as long as the playfield is validated by us to work in the system anybody can manufacture it we don't care about that however we have a lot of resources and a lot of experience now building playfields and working with the vendors to uh, to, to make the things that a playfield will need. Um, I should say that the development kit that we distribute isn't just a software development kit. It has the full mechanical specs for playfield designs uh, as well as the electrical specs. All of our machines use our P3 rock boards, our PD16 driver boards, our Switch 16 switch boards. These are boards that the pinball industry has grown to use almost as a standard for new pinball machine development. And interfacing to those boards simply requires a couple of connections back to our main our main wiring harness um, and we we document and we um, distribute drawings for all of the connections that people need to do so so the point is it's not super hard um, to get the information to be able to develop a playfield and in fact there are multiple people doing it one who has a p3 and at least one who doesn't have a p3 so far and they're uh they will have to submit them to us for validation but yeah all right so um, for all those people in, um, either developing games or possibly interested in developing games, um, currently the P3, the upper third of the playfield is sort of like the module that's interchangeable. Mm -hmm. But what if someone wants to do a, uh, a playfield with a third flipper sure. um, in, somewhere in the middle? Is that possible because that will require a lot more changes to the platform um, to, to, to make that work. Yeah, not, not, not really a lot. Uh, we've designed the system to be modular. The flipper assembly comes out, you can stick in a completely different type of 
activation device or something. The side targets that we currently have slide in and out of the machine. There's one cable that connects them. Um, anybody can design pretty much anything they want that can float over the surface of the playfield. And the way it floats over the surface of the playfield is it slides into our uh, side rails. And this is extruded aluminum pieces that are mechanically set up to allow people to put modules in there. Um, the caveat is if they make use of our, our system, our base P3 system that has a driver board to drive the flippers and a couple more driver boards to drive the wall scoops and, and other things, if they make use, if they're replacing existing assemblies and can make use of those driver boards, then great. But if they want to develop a flipper assembly that has five flippers on it and they need a lot more coils and a lot more slingshot switches or whatever they want to do, then they have to provide the driver boards to drive those. Right. So generally speaking, um, custom like side target assemblies or custom flipper assemblies that somebody will de develop will need to tie back in electronically to their playfield module because that's why you're changing out the module. You want a new flipper assembly because you want it to work with your playfield module. So you put a driver board on your playfield module that ties to the new flipper assembly and that all works well together. That makes sense? That was it, that was complex, but... It makes sense, yes. Um, so, what would happen... Uh, well, so you, you went with um, uh, outsourcing uh, the manufacturing of uh, playfield um, uh, or, or games, basically. Um, you're now doing that in-house because it turns out to be that, that, well, basically you were spending the same time with your contract manufacturer um, and you might as well do it yourself. Same time and more money. Right. But um, is that what you foresee that the company will be doing or could it be that if you hit a have a hit game and you need to crank out 500 games or a thousand games that you're like oh this is way too much we better call someone who yeah. would be able to do this for us in in uh, or is that a scenario not something that you're considering or you know I mean it's, no, we're, so we're it's looking into the future and we yeah. don't know what the future will bring but yeah. what if such a situation would occur yeah it's a great problem to have to solve if, if we have to expand mm -hmm. our, our, our manufacturing um, the volume the good thing about structuring the business like we have for long-term growth is that we have everything in place to be able to hand it off to somebody else to build the product not only to build it but to order the parts for it they can look at our bill of materials and they can get all the vendor part numbers and everything else from that bill of materials call make the call get the parts in and bill it to our assembly structure so while it's more efficient and less expensive for us to build everything in-house now and we learned that the hard way by trying it the other way um, it's a very simple matter to make a phone call to another contract manufacturer and say hey we need help building this here's the build materials here's the assembly instruction here's the test instructions build it we know that if we're going to do that we're going to have to babysit that process too and it'll mm -hmm. probably require us to hire a couple people to manage the outsourced assembly but growing pains and, and good problems to solve so because we've been so structured, because we have the logistics so well defined, um, outsourcing that again, if we need to, is certainly possible. Okay. 
Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Jerry. Um, I'm sure everybody who's going to the Texas Pinball Festival this weekend will look forward to playing um, all the various versions and um, play fields and games that uh, we have on the P3 on the Multimorphic stand. Yeah. Right. And What uh, other shows will you be attending this year 2019 do you already know or we don't know in fact we made a, a pretty significant uh, statement a while back where we decided we're not doing any more shows except for the texas pin the wall festival and the houston arcade expo because they're local shows mm. um, we're such a small company that it's a huge expense and a huge time sink to pack up a bunch of machines and take them out to shows and take our engineering staff and go to support the shows so um, we're better suited leveraging our distribution network and our customers as as arms of the company to help get the word out to help show the machine. We're better suited to stay back and and keep cranking out machines and keep developing new new products. Right. So, so you won't, you won't be uh, doing seminars at other shows then. Or you just won't be taking machines or having a big stand? I, I'm, I'm open to doing seminars or attending shows as a guest or something. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't likely be setting up a booth bringing machines to demo new games at right. shows outside of Texas. Okay. All right. So all the more reason for people to visit the Texas Pimble Festival this weekend in Frisco um, next to Dallas. Yeah, definitely come out there. I'll be there. I'll be in the booth most of the weekend. And this this machine is unique. It's uh, it's progressive. It's it's evolutionary for sure, if not revolutionary. And it opens the the it opens people's minds to what's possible. Um, I get people walking up to me all day at every show we go to with ideas about how we can make it better or themes we should do or new sub-assemblies we should make or whatever. And I love those conversations. So anyone listening with ideas, um, let's chat about them. It's, it's, it's fun for me to, to see where people would take this platform if, if given the opportunity. All right. So on a uh, final note and extra motivation for people to come to the Texas Pinball Festival, um, Martin and I will be hosting our So You Think You Know Pinball quiz and uh, we're actually um, uh, a few of the prizes will be um, uh, P3 Lexi Lightspeed um, rejected playfield uh, white boots, so to speak, um, which are of no use at all, but still it's a fun item That's to win. Absolutely, yes. it's, it's something you just won't find anywhere else. Exactly, so it's a very unique piece. Um, just to put on your wall or whatever, but at least it's something cool. So um, come to the Texas Pinball Festival, participate in our So You Think You Know Pinball quiz, and who knows, you might be having a uh, Lexi Lightspeed Playfield module hang on your wall soon yeah. enough. So that's Friday night at 6 o'clock right. at uh, the Texas show. Right, so yeah, thank you, cool. Jerry, for your uh, for your time, hospitality, factory tour, everything. Yeah, of course, anytime. And for joining us here on this uh, this special podcast interview. Yeah, thank I you. appreciate you having me. Always, always fun to talk. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Okay, there you have it, Jerry Stellenberg from Multimorphic, um, who will be uh, one of the exhibitors at the Texas Pinball Festival, which starts tomorrow. Uh, March 22nd, 2019. It's the entire weekend, three days at the Embassy Suites uh, in Frisco, Dallas. I really suggest if you have the possibility to come over, you really should. And don't forget, of course, we'll, if you do come over, we're, Jonathan and I are doing our So You Think You Know Pinball quiz 
at 6 p.m. on Friday evening in the bar area during happy hour. So yeah. definitely come along for that. And we've got some special prizes, including some that we picked up from yeah. Multimorphic exactly. just yesterday. Yeah, exactly. We got a few uh, V3 Lexi Lightspeed rejected playfields uh, because they were slightly warped, so they couldn't be used in the game. And um, basically, was well, if you're not planning to do anything with them, can we give them away? And they said, sure, take them. Yeah, and they're, they're sort of, I won't say the one of a kind because we've got, we've got several of them, but uh, they are unique pieces you won't find anywhere else um, and, and parts of pinball history. You know, the first modular pinball game and there's the the play field for you which you can uh, you can win as a prize in our quiz if your uh, if your pinball knowledge is up to scratch right and there will be other prizes by stern pinball jersey jack pinball american pinball i assume a spooky pinball is sponsoring as well so thanks to all our sponsors absolutely to to allow us to do another edition of this so you think you know pinball pop uh, um quiz that's the one yeah so thanks for listening for now um we might be back during the texas pinball festival with another bonus podcast but since the texas pinball festival is very hectic there's no guarantees we will be looking out to record interviews and they will be then on our regular podcast which we should be the first week of april yes so until then from jonathan and myself here in texas We uh, will say goodbye. Okay. Thanks for listening and see you in Texas.